0: Welcome to From the Back Tees, a podcast where we tee it up from the back every week.
1: Oh man, that was so much easier than
2: cutting. I should just try to get the ball in one shot every time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the From the Back Tees podcast, a podcast that is always from the back tees. I'm Jerry.
1: I'm Zach.
2: I'm Paul. Wait, Zach, who in the heck is Paul?
1: Wow, well, we got a pretty special guest today. He's replacing our guy, Nolan. We got (laughs) the caddy for the number 11 player in the world. Coming back fresh from Australia, front lines of the president's cup champion of the president's cup nonetheless paul tesori how are you doing paul
0: yeah guys thanks for having me on Uh, i'm still trying to get used to the united states time zone right now the (laughs) last thing you're supposed to do it's like written on every single book or whatever you want to find out about jet lag is to take a nap and i'm two for two on taking naps both days so uh i'm still caught a little bit back in australia time but uh getting used to being home again excellente well uh listen we uh we want to get into a lot of
2: great stuff because obviously there's been a lot of like obvious headlines and like you know hot takes about uh senior patrick reed and how things even got out of hand while he was over there uh with his, his uh, uh jock and whatnot but we want to get something out of the way not out of the way first we want to talk about it first um i've been hearing a lot about it today paul is a part of a really great thing called the Jasori family foundation And I mean, we'd like to get it, uh, talk about at the start of the show to let Paul just talk about it and vamp out as long as he wants to. So, uh, take (laughs) it away.
0: Yeah, I'll definitely give a little bit of the cliff notes version. I know we don't have enough time for you guys or the viewers. So, um, the Tesori Family Foundation, we started in 2010, um, for the first four or five years, we just did a lot of local community stuff. But then in 2014 in January, my son, Isaiah was born with Down syndrome. And very quickly, kind of our passions, our energies, our desires started to turn to the special needs community. And uh, here we are almost six years later, he'll be six, uh, first part of next month. And uh, things have changed uh, in a in a grand way. He's brought a lot of uh, information. He's brought a lot of notoriety to uh, our foundation. And, and thank goodness for Webb and his good play too. But a couple of our favorite things: we have something called the All Star Kids Clinic. We do a clinic for 25 kids with special needs. We give them one on one instruction with PGA Tour players, caddies, and coaches. And we started off with just two, and quickly it grew to four. And then next year, 2020. We're going to have over 20 throughout the country at a lot of the PGA tour sites we're going to be on. And it's a huge passion of ours. And then uh, we have something called Christmas tree angel here at home, where we shop for a hundred families for the kids and the parents. We wrap them up, we shop for them and we surprise them on Christmas Eve with a bunch of gifts at the front door uh, to serve as Santa as often as possible. So um, for us, uh, we've been fortunate to get back over a million dollars in the last six years and It's just something because it's truly a family. Anybody that knows, I am on a caddy salary program, so I can't quite afford that. But because of the family atmosphere, we have a lot of people that give their time and and their energy and their money, and we've just made it uh, a a really true family atmosphere. So if you have a chance, check us out to storyfamilyfoundation.org and follow our story. Um, It's a fun one, and Isaiah keeps teaching his daddy every day. How old is Isaiah right now? He'll be six on January 4th. Oh, okay. I, I for some it'll reason, get older, but man, no, yep. It'll be a third straight trip to Maui, so he's doing all right. He, you don't Not have to bad. worry about him. He, he's living it up better than I am sometimes. So, <laughs> I got you. Oh. Zach. All right, don't
1: worry. We'll edit that out. We won't be, but
2: no, we we don't edit the squad. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so I guess I we could start with the President's Cup and. What a win it was for you guys! Congratulations, first on bringing home the victory. I'm actually Canadian, so you guys beat my team.
2: I wanted to start off Canada say honestly
0: when we just started the call, but
1: know. Yeah, that I'm was glad like,
0: that came out now though. Before I started making fun of you, um, I'm glad it oh, came out now. Perfect, no, perfect, no. <laughs> no, we actually had a Canadian caddy on our team, and he joked, we made fun of him. He said, you know, this, this is his uh, sixth President's Cup, with the first one uh, for the American side, he works for Gary Woodland, Brennan Little, uh, a.k.a. Butchie, and so we made fun of him, so how it feel to be on a winning team for a change? And he laughed, <laughs> but he also took it a little personal, too, at the same time. so
1: He's uh, like a traitor. That,
0: that, that, was some, that was some good ribbing at the same time. Well, now, careful with the trader
2: talk, Zach, because uh, real quick, if we can dive into Paul's resume for anyone who's not familiar, he caddied for <laughs> one of the one of the greatest international players of all time, and when he was at the peak of his power, so to speak, and Vijay Singh. So, I, I would never call uh, Mr. Distory a traitor by any means. You know, gotta, gotta go where his bread's buttered, and uh, that,
0: that's that's exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly right. You know, it's a hard transition to make at times. Uh, it was a little bit easier for me. My first. Well, let's see. Uh, I've done eight Presidents Cups now: three on the international side with VJ, and five on the American side with Jerry Kelly back in '03, the tie over in South Africa, and then uh, with Sean O'Hare in '09 in San Francisco, and now three with Weber. So I've seen both sides, and I always said people always ask me, "Who are you rooting for?" When you were caddying for VJ, and I always said I was rooting for Beach to win his matches, but as far as the team event. I either went from somewhere from not caring to still hoping the Americans would win. Um, it was kind of a, a weird balance. Uh, it's hard because you're really rooting for your boss and you're in the other team room. So you end up kind of by the end of the week, probably being a lot less attached to the result as a team. Um, it's, a, it's a lot better and a lot more, I think, intensity um, being on the side, obviously, of the country that you're from, which the last five of them have been on the American side and uh, it's, it's been – the celebrations have been a lot better.
1: So I got I to gotta ask you this. and It was 2003, right, that it was a tie in South Africa?
0: Yes. Yep. How
1: awful was it to have a tie?
0: Well, you know, for us at the time it wasn't bad because nobody knew what the answer was. There was already in store, you know, in these envelopes, a playoff. And so when we tied the team competition to watch Tiger and Ernie go out one-on-one to decide the entire cup, was the best theater I've ever seen still to this day in golf. It was incredible. And the display these two men put on with not only the other 11 guys on their teams, but every captain on their team, every camera, the whole country watching back here to watch them hole after hole. And, you know, when the cup, when it finished in the dark, the fourth playoff hole, and it was obvious they couldn't play anymore, you know, the American side was like, okay, we retain the cup. Of course, the internationals were like, "Uh uh-uh that's not how this works. Let's come back on Monday and finish. And I think you, you would know these professional golfers, they have a lot of outings due back on Mondays and places that they had to be. So they decided to make it a tie, um, which, you know, at the time, no one really knew what the answer would be. They just kind of figured it out. So um, while a tie is weird to have it up, to be able to be there one-on-one watching Tiger and Ernie go battle it out into. Um, I was working for Jerry Kelly and we were one of the last two groups on the golf course in the team competition. And Jerry had to make a five footer for birdie on the last hole to beat Tim Clark one up or we lose. So for, for me, it was a little less time uh, to really get involved. But once it did, it was uh it was something I'll always remember. Those,
2: I'm, I'm, I'm doing some uh, hasty looking up here, but he president's cups isn't
0: that like over half of the president's cups in
2: existence i mean i don't
0: know i don't know how many there have been i let's see i, I did seven in a row 90- I, I did seven in a row oh 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 three oh five oh seven oh nine and eleven and thirteen and then uh with the putting band me and weber took a couple years off to try to figure out the putter uh, before we finally did it was good to be back here in 2019 but yeah i had a seven in a row stretch at one time
2: Good grief. I mean, that's still, (laughs) even though it's, even though it's always not, everyone always says it's not the Ryder Cup. I always, even as an American, I say that's absolutely not fair to like the rest of the world, period. It doesn't matter who's playing who. It's just like, I, that's why you mentioned Ernie Ells. It's like, I love him as a golfer, but he never got to partake in some of those Ryder Cup battles. But
0: yeah, exactly. It's different, but still just as high, just as much desire for us to win. So before we get into some, uh, hit you with some popcorn questions
2: here at the end, let's talk uh, President's Cup a little bit. now, one, one dumb question I really wanted to avoid, but I was going to say it just in terms of like we can – <laughs> Bring we're, we're it gonna, on. We're going to chat about it first. Well, I say dumb as in redundant. There was like that uh, overarching joke on social media and golf Twitter and everything saying like, what did uh, Webb Simpson do to Tiger Woods to, to upset like, like – to make Paul or his like – or Webb's wife have to uh, be with uh, Patrick Reed or whatever. And I thought like, oh, yeah, we could ask that. But the more I got to know Paul Tesori, the more I got to know Webb Simpson. And the more I got to know Webb Simpson, the more I'm like, wait a second, Webb Simpson seems to be the perfect kind of like, I couldn't even find the right word, but the perfect kind of like calming catalyst or like the, the yin to the yang of anybody who am not necessarily a hothead, so to speak. I've seen Jordan, you know, get hot sometimes on the course, but like, right. You said like, he's one of those good guys like Weber, who's would be right there and like, Hey, Spieth's been paired with Reed before there. I see a pattern here. So can all that, what I want to ask you is, since you guys were with Patrick Reed so much, what was the temperature? I mean, I, I'm not even going to ask you to stick up for um, uh, uh, Kessler, uh, his brother-in-law, which, but you can go ahead and give your take on like where were you compared yeah. to go in that situation. But what, what was the whole overall intensity like?
0: Yeah, so um, obviously a much different experience than we had had back in 2011 in Australia. Um, the fans were hungrier this time. Adam Scott had a call out to all the fans to be a true 13th man basically to not applaud for us, to, you know, severely applaud for them. And then with what happened in the Bahamas on Friday with Patrick and the two-shot penalty and everything that went with that, it just gave the fans in Australia a lot of ammunition, probably more than we would have wished they would have had. Um, You know, it's, it's one of those things that, I wish I could sit back and say the Australian fans were unfair. They were blah, blah, blah. But if it would have happened here in the States, we would have been just as brutal, if not more brutal, than they were. Um, It was a lot, needless to say. I would say it was somewhere between probably 20 and 40 different yells per hole from the fans for three straight matches. So you could imagine by the end of the day, you've heard between 500 and 800 different comments uh, it gets old. It gets old fast. Um, and as the day progressed, it kind of gets closer and closer to as he's pulling the trigger. Um, you mm-hmm. know, as far as, as far as Webb and Patrick being a pairing, uh, it made sense. They play the same golf ball. They actually play very, very similar golf. Um, they both have great short games, good putters, uh, very tenacious. But, you know, they needed to put Patrick out with somebody who has a calming influence. They needed to put Patrick out with somebody who's not going to react to the crowd who isn't going to make things, you know, worse, so to say. And at the same time was somebody competitive, and compatible with his game. And so it made sense for us to go out with him. And Webb was ready to go. Webb is one of those guys. They put him – we kind of use the pod system for every cup match now. Um, For those of you that don't know what that is, listening at home, it's just Paul Azinger did this back in the Ryder Cup in, I believe, 06, I might be messing that up. I think it was in Louisville um, that he first uh, did the pod system. You guys know what year that would have been, Ryder Cup. It would have been an even year. 06 or 08. 06 or 08. yeah. I think it might even – anyway, I guess it doesn't matter. Yeah. One of those two years when it was, he did the pod system where basically those guys played practice rounds together. They hung out together. They did these things. And so we're still kind of using that now. But Webb and Matt Kuchar are two guys they kind of have as floaters meaning they can pair those two with any other player on the team at any time. So if they if someone was hurt or someone wasn't playing well and they need to intermingle, Webb was one of those guys. Uh, for mm-hmm. those of you that don't know him, he's just a tremendous man. I look up to him. He's 13 years younger than I am, and I, I look up to him as a man, as a dad, as a husband, as a friend. Um, he is truly just a tremendous human being. It's not because he writes the checks for me either. It's just because of who he is. And so he was able to go out. We did go 0-3, which I think made the home crowd probably a little happier. I think if we would have flipped that script and had it going and had a lot of fist pumps and all that else going, it might have even have led to, to more. And then as far as the Kessler thing goes, man, this was one of those really, really hard things as a caddy. To be honest with you, it's our job. Kessler actually did his job in what he what he did – Um, The guy got within two inches of Patrick, yelled expletives at him, spit coming out of his mouth as he was yelling in his face. Kessler got out, backed him away from the situation. The guy yelled again. Kessler pushed him. All he did was spill two beers. The guy didn't go to the ground. He didn't do anything else. Now, we understand that he never pushed Patrick. He never hit Patrick, and he didn't touch Kessler. So, in hindsight, Kessler probably should not have physically put his hands on him. But when you've heard it again for three straight days and to the point Patrick tried to go out and support his teammates, and when he did, the fans were so unruly that it was hurting the other matches as Patrick was out there. So they had to come in, and that's where the altercation happened was coming in from the golf course where Patrick couldn't support his teammates, Um, the guy got up in his face, and, and Kessler pushed him, obviously spilled his beer, and some feelings got hurt, and Kessler ended up having to sit on the sidelines. Um, it's a lot harder job I think in Ponte Vedra, being the commissioner having to decide what happens there. Oh, yeah. mm-hmm. I'm sure they made the right decision in the moment, meaning Kessler you're staying in the mm-hmm. hotel, you're not allowed on property. We got to figure this out. We'll see what, what else is going to happen after that. But it's unfortunate. I went outside the ropes twice in 2019, just because people being so incredibly brutal in between holes, um, just yelling and screaming. Uh, It's the new era in golf, to be honest with you. And I'm old school. So at some point, we're going to have to get used to it and realize this is probably the new norm. Uh, Being that golf is so different, I wish it wasn't. Uh, You know, Augusta, we don't get those things. And (laughs) I, I wish that we could hold on to that one part that just fans behave differently at golf tournaments. I know we would lose some, but I also think you would gain some at the same moment. So... I know that's a long-winded answer to the week, but um, at the end of the week, the fans probably behaved exactly how they should. They were rooting their team on. They wanted to win. It did make the win feel better than any other President's Cup win I was a part of because it definitely <laughs> felt it felt hostile out there. It really did. It had a lot more of a Ryder Cup feel to the week than it ever has, and I liked that part of the President's Cup, that it was a little bit more friendly, a little bit more laid back, but uh, I think that's forever changed. To be honest with you, going forward, uh, the international team has these young guns that are fearless. Uh, M. and Neiman uh, and Ben on um, Hadwin. And I know I'm missing another one uh, in, at the same time. But Hadwin, like Did you say Hadwin. Yeah, kids, you
1: said Hadwin.
0: Yeah. Oh, Hadwin. I mean, Hadwin's a stud, and and he's a great kid at the same time. But I mean, these guys they're they're fearless. They're not afraid of anything. And this is Tiger's generation that's coming up. And these Presidents Cups, I. And I, I think if I looked 20 years down the road, there's probably going to be a 10-10 split by the time it's all over. Um, they've definitely caught up as far as fearlessness and talent. Yeah, Very cool. I,
1: I got to ask you one thing about the, um, the American side, maybe the last question on the whole Patrick Reed situation. How much of an effect did it actually have on you guys over there and how big of a thing was it inside like, your group compared to how big it was in the Twitter world?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, Great question. I think because knowing that the team event was coming up right away, that we were leaving the Bahamas on a flight straight to Australia, that there was going to be a lot of close quarters, you know, communication with Patrick. And so I think everybody went up to him at the same time and said, Bud, we're sorry this happened. Um, We can't imagine what's going on in your world, and we're not going to try to pretend that way. But you're our teammate, um, and he is friends with most of us and that you know we're here for you we're not going to judge you we know you're going to have to deal with those things on your own and um i think here's the hard part for everybody to know believe me i've read almost all the comments i would love to be the guy that comes out and says hey what he got was just and fair i mean it cost him the golf tournament cost him a half a million dollars it cost him a chance of actually winning the golf tournament between finishing third and you got other people that say well we know he definitely cheated the thing is no one knows for sure. Um, I don't think he did. The cameras were on in the entire day. I don't think anyone's that brash or that bold. He was leading the entire week knowing that he would have done it. But then other people are like, well, did you see the um, footage? And I know the footage didn't look good. Um, I, I'm a golfer. I'm a educated golfer. I understand that it didn't look good. But, you know, we can't – I don't think we can really go down that road and say, well, he definitely cheated. We don't know. Um, intention is the only way you can cheat at sports is knowing that you did something wrong and I don't think anybody knows but him and unfortunately in this world that we live and he's going to live with it for a long time and I think mm. that will be just enough punishment on his own I like Patrick um, he's been great to me and my family um, as far as our foundation goes um, he secretly gives money to a lot of different organizations they don't literally let that out but I'm not going to try to talk through that, but man alive, I think it was great for us that it was a team event coming up because it allowed all of us to kind of gel together, knowing that he was a teammate and we needed to hug him in his family and just tell him, Hey, we're here for you. We know it's going to be hard and, you know, use us if you need to. Oh, absolutely. And going back to something real
2: quick, uh, uh, you mentioned about like, unfortunately the different generation, and this isn't another swipe at you barstool, just, just settle down, put your pants back, (laughs) sit back down. But I, I noticed that when I lived in San Diego for many years, uh, being prior service, I got free tickets to uh, Torrey Pines every year. And I would take a lot of my friends and, and I'm in my mid thirties now. And ultimately, sorry, Zach, I would see a lot of people in their mid twenties and they really, even though it's a good time, they would treat uh, going to a golf, uh, a golf tournament. Like it's a rock concert. It's literally just like, Hey, what's going on at Saturday at noon that we can afford the admission to, and we can go have drinks. And I'm not saying like, you know, they, 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 they do know certain types of etiquette or whatever, but it's like things can get a little rowdy too and unnecessary where it's like, well, this isn't like, you know, <clears> hullabalooza <throat> or whatever, so to speak. Right. I mean.
0: Right. And I think again, it, that's the hardest part is that, you know, golf is different. We call penalties on ourselves. Just start there and stop there if we can, you know, like that doesn't happen. Can you imagine LeBron going down the lane, <laughs> um, attack, attacking Kawhi Leonard this year in the Western conference finals and getting done and say, Hey, Ref, my bad. That was charging on me. You're not going to see. You're not going to see Peyton say, "Hey, that was really, really bad there." You know, we were actually offsides. We drew them. Hey, give us five. So, you know, people that say, "Well, you know, I need to get with the program." That sports, sport. Well, golf's not. Golf is completely different. There's always been that, um, that etiquette difference. You know, they used to wear ties playing golf. Um, you know, nowadays we're hearing that the pros may eventually wear shorts. I'm again, I'm old school. I'm almost 48. I want them to keep pants on. We don't want to see those legs. I've seen a lot of their legs out there. We don't need Coocher's legs out there trying to win the ah! Masters on Sunday. Uh, no offense, no offense, Matt, but we don't need to see those things. So no, he probably got uh, the opiest of all stakes down there. <laughs> exactly, and you know they don't make shorts long enough for somebody six four. So uh, we don't need to see that either at the same time. But um, you know, I, and people that say it's not doable, they're wrong. They do it at Augusta every year. And the thing is, if you yell, if you make a dumb comment they just kindly go up to you and say, hey, here are the exits. We're going to escort you out. And very quickly it changes. And, again, I know I'm old school, and I know that's probably not feasible going forward. I just – I miss those days. I wish we could get more of them. But I'm the one that needs to get a little bit more with the program and understand that this is the new norm.
2: Well, hey, you're already a big presence on Twitter. So that that means – and and a lot of people look at me funny. It's like, why you use Twitter so much? I'm like, well, because golf and Twitter have a very, very – Weird, wonderful relationship that you don't see with other sports or other communities. Like I was telling my girlfriend last night, if I wasn't in the golf community on Twitter, I'd probably be following just everyone on ESPN, and nobody's talking back to me or something. But, but I mean, hey, yeah. it's you're already leading the charge. I mean, you're, I, it's like I've all pro, without you even being Web Simpson's caddy, I felt like I know who Paul Tisseri is. He was yeah. on tour for a minute when I was a kid. He, uh, he was VJ's coach before he was his caddy for crying out loud. We all know how meticulous VJ Singh is. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I think, like you said, uh, I think that world has been good for me. I, what I do, I use Twitter to kind of tell my story, either as the foundation or as a week goes on, share some pictures and videos and maybe things that people don't you know, have the privilege to see. But one thing I don't do is I don't read all the responses because I know that no matter what you put on there, if I say I gave $5 million back to you know the underprivileged children of america's funds somebody will find a way to make that into a negative so i try not to go down that route but i i love um you know those who are encouraging and supportive and i think twitter's been a great place to do a lot of that and give everybody a little bit of a a front row seat to some of the privileges that i get on a weekly basis on tour no
2: absolutely it's a lot of fun uh zach you got any other president cup questions before we just dive into all sorts of uh like caddy and golf and tour related questions
1: yeah well i guess i got a couple questions that i wonder myself i don't know if anyone really knows the answer except you how does it work in the team environment like with deciding who plays the singles matches against who how do you have plans in advance or is it more like tiger would just decide in the moment or fred couples would decide
0: so uh, my first answer is yes and then i'll expand upon that. it's all those things that you just said yeah (laughs) All of that kind of goes into it. Um, you know, I was really, really surprised with – and pleasantly surprised with how engaged Tiger was. Um, two months out, one month out, three weeks out, leading up to the event. And not just with the players, but the caddies too. I would receive one or two texts every week. Um, Tiger just asking me questions either about Webb's game or Tiger knew who we were paired with every time we played him and say how did, how did his game look. What did you think? Um, You know, any ideas here or there? And I think he just took all of those and put it into a system that by the time he showed up, he had an idea of what he wanted to do. Um, The President's Cup is much different than the Ryder Cup, where you actually can put pairings together that you want. Um, In the Ryder Cup, you just make your list. These are my 12 guys I'm sending out. They make their list. These are the 12 guys we're sending out. And it just matches up how it is. But and the President's Cup, which um, at some point might tell the story of the Tiger who had a war in 2000, but uh, they matched V J and Tiger up on purpose in singles. And obviously this President's Cup, Abraham Anser had asked for Tiger back in me- after Mexico and said, I want Tiger, I want him one-on-one and-, and singles. And so when they chose Abraham Anser first, obviously – Tiger came back with Tiger Woods uh, to match that up. So you can find a pairing if you really want one uh, to make sure that you get it, uh, you know, teamed up, which is a good – I think it's a good twist, to be honest with you. It's good for TV. Um, I think it's better for the fans. It's better for the players. and adds a little bit of that zest at the same time. Very cool. Very
2: cool.
0: I just uh, completely
1: look over the fact that Tiger texts you twice a week. (laughs)
0: <laughs> well absolutely and you know i think the story you got uh, we have talked about a little bit was um for those of you that did not get to see it in social media or anything uh tiger got me back for 19 years ago when i infamously wore the tiger who hat um we had played with him in 2000 it'll be our it was five consecutive matches and some ball guys had some nice hats stitched up with tiger who on the back i was working for vj at the time we thought it would be hilarious and funny Um, and after Tiger saw it when he was two down through four he played the (laughs) next thirteen seven under to beat us two and one uh, just so we would remember who Tiger who was and Tiger loves me to tell the story to everybody as often as possible as he had his arms crossed and a scowl on his face in the singles match in 2000 after he saw, uh, saw the Tiger who hat and he didn't give VJ a putt that was a millimeter and People laugh when I say a millimeter. I was like, well, it's probably less. Half the ball was (laughs) hanging over the edge. and When we looked on the side to hear the is it good comment or pick it up, he had the scowl. And so uh, many, many years went by, and 19 years later, his redemption as his first captaincy came, and he had all the caddies um, wear a Paul who hat, and then Tiger Ward and Webb Ward as well on Wednesday for picture time. <laughs> um, being Paul, who on the background uh, to make a big joke out of it going forward. So, um, my little handle that I use a lot is Saki, who um, uh, Saki <laughs> being nickname and who making fun of the Tiger, who had and Tiger finally got his redemption 19 years later. So, some those are good memories for me. Uh, anytime that you can be the, the butt of a joke from the greatest of all time, I'll take it uh, and, and we'll laugh about it for a long time and move forward.
1: That's amazing. Does he send gifts over text?
0: <laughs> it's GIFs. No. No, does he send right. GIFs like the
1: office? He's probably a big office guy. Am I right?
0: So, yeah. So, there's two things he doesn't do. He does not do, I have yet to see him do any kind of emoji. Um, pretty Ooh. much, it is just straight out. This is what it is. This is what's going on. Very, very like an sweet. LOL. What's that? I does don't he... know. Not even an LOL or a ha ha ha. Maybe Ooh. a too funny. He's does like, he do he like a, a K? Song. I think he's old no. I think it'd be okay. I'd have to go back and look, but um, <laughs> I think it'd be more a little more professional. That now I'm sure maybe with some of the other guys, there might be some uh, other writings happening. But I think he knows with Weber and I and our faith component, we might get a slightly different version of Tiger than maybe DJ and and Brooks and those guys. JT <laughs> get, but
1: uh, they get the office. To, so
0: so some pretty good funny back and forth, and get uh, yeah, some office gifts are good at the same time. Well, before Zach asks if there's any dick pics, Zach, what
2: are you, the grammar police? What's going on? Here? I was not going to ask that. <laughs>
1: tell me, people do not want to know whether Tiger sends office gifs.
0: Oh, uh, man, I—I'll I, tell you this: I'd be shocked if he sends office gifs. Maybe, but I think I would have gotten one of those by now, and I haven't gotten one yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, that's—I'll uh... <laughs> do this for you guys right now. I promise you, my next text to him, he will have one in there. It'll no. have Steve Carell right in the middle. I, I'll figure out a good one as it goes yes. back, but so we'll do it. We there any inclination as to that? Like that's uh, his favorite TV show? No, no I don't know that. I, I don't know that. I think I think you guys might have an inside scoop more than I do. See, I know his favorite right. video game. I know his favorite video game is Call of Duty. He uh, he he plays it on the plane all the time and, and at home as well. So and he used to get him before everybody else back when he when he was with EA Sports. So. Oh um, yeah, I don't know if he still does, but I'm sure he gets the early releases since he probably knows somebody.
1: I'm oh, sure he knows up. somebody.
0: Speaking <laughs> yeah. of, uh, since Tiger's uh,
2: quote back, uh, I mean, because he went somewhere, uh, uh, is EA going to pick him up and make video games? I mean, come on,
0: we haven't had a good golf video game in like six years. I'm busy playing golf. I know golf. It, it, it's kind, it's kind of sad. Um, I don't know that answer, but I wish we could get it back <laughs> for sure. Sorry, yeah, I'm asking uh, Paul. to story. Senior advisor at Sony Entertainment. <laughs> we'll be waiting. <laughs> hey,
1: for I'll that take that
0: job. Now. I'll take that job. Absolutely. <laughs> Bring me in. Uh, I'll do some voiceovers for a few days and give me some merchandise. I'm ready to go.
2: <laughs> well, radio. So let's uh, let's finish up the second half of this pod here. Zach, you got any questions? Did we get anybody from uh, online, Twitter, anything like that? So, yeah, uh, you- we
1: asked we asked most of the stuff people wanted to know, but I got this really good question by Cliff Almighty. It's after Cliff Ionity on Twitter. Oh, that guy. That one thing he's always wondered is how many shots can an experienced caddy save him for a higher handicap in a round? He says he's a five or six handicap now.
0: Yeah, so like you said, it all depends on the type of player. Um, I've been asked this before, and I think if you took me your – I think the average handicap in the world is like 16.1. So I think if you gave me a 16 handicapper in a normal 18 holes of golf, like around their home course, I think I could save between 6 and 10 shots without any real physical change. Um, I might make one or two small changes, but just helping them learn how to work their ways around a golf course. It's amazing to me. Just uh, how little uh, the average player knows about, hey, how do I minimize my score? And the problem with that is because you'd rather go home and tell your buddies about the three wood that you hit from 235 and on the green and made eagle than the seven that you hit in the water and made triple. Um, that's just kind of the male ego that we have. Um, and if I could cut down on those, it would help. I think it's the better the player gets, the less shots I can help them. Uh, my goal with Weber every day is a shot around. If I can save Weber a shot around, I have uh, more than paid um, for my job. And, you know, when Webb, when I first started with Webb in 2011, he was 213th in the world and just held onto his card. And I think my first couple of years I was able to help him a lot, uh, maybe even as much as two shots around. But as he's gotten older, he's gotten wiser, he understands the game a lot more and, I hope he's not listening right now because I can flat out say he doesn't need me anywhere near as much as he used to. And he pays me more now. So um, if we listen to between us, love that would be <laughs> – we, we need to keep that between us, I guess, for right now. But, I mean, that's kind of the thing is teach him what I know and now he's run with it. So I think a five or six handicapper on their home course, depending on the type of player they are, I would say somewhere between probably two and five shots would be uh, pretty average. Paul, you don't
2: realize the hundreds and hundreds of people that listen to this podcast and how, how thrilled we are. And if Webb Simpson is one of them, that would be even more thrilling. <laughs> and if I can do my best Tony Kornheiser real quick, 16.1, what? Like I was going to save this for later, but what? I, I'm a full-time caddy at Bandune's Golf Resort, and it's 10 strokes higher than that.
0: Come on, 16.1, <laughs> what? what? Well, at Bandon Boones, it might be uh, 10 shots higher than that. I've never been there, but from what I hear, it's a little tougher than your average uh, local country club that everybody plays at. I do need to get out there at some point. At least now I know somebody, so um, oh, yeah. I know how to get I know how to get my in now. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you're a man of prominence. I mean, they're, they're pretty lax out there uh, in the middle yeah, of the country. We, we, we can get you in no matter what.
0: But uh, I love it. I love it. That's, that's great. I've seven. had a good year. I've, I've done Pine Valley twice and Augusta once, so. I've had a good year on the golf course, so Bannon oh. needs to be next down my road.
2: Shout out to my uh, Jock uh, brothers at Pine Valley for taking uh, doing a strong showing in the Looper Cup, but I didn't know if I got, I got to put this on the pot or publicly, Zach. Uh, we did win our six in a row, Bannon Dunes Caddy, so holler. Wow, six in a row. Well, we still keep winning by one point each time, so it's not like a runaway or whatever. Like last year, they had to win all the matches in the last day to win by one. This time, they won by one again, so yeah, went incredible. Out- Wow. Well done. Well done. Very nice. So I got a quick question for you then, uh, which I'm actually kind of curious about. But uh, considering, you know, tour players carry every single thing that's uh, humanly possible in the bag, umbrellas on sunny days, etc. How heavy is your average uh, staff bag? Like, I mean, I'm not going to ask you if he uses webs, but give me a poundage.
0: No. So, like, um, I'll use Webb for an example. Webb is pretty light. He, agains one of these kind people. He kind of goes through it every day. On a non-rainy day, so let's just say we're in Phoenix, 0% chance of rain, where we have no rain gear, no extra towels, no extra gloves, umbrellas out. It's usually around 42 pounds. Um, if you get us at a British Open where we know it's going to rain, we're going to have everything that can be as much as 50 pounds. So, um, and, and the eight pounds matters. Like, us caddies, you put that umbrella in the bag without us knowing. You could pick it up right away and be, oh, something's different. Um, I had a pretty good joke played on me by um, – we have a guy. He's now caddying for the international team for the Young Kid M, uh, the rookie of the past year. But his name is Steven Pepsi Hale. He caddied for Keegan Bradley for a long time. And his nickname is Pepsi because he hides Pepsis throughout the golf course during the day. His oh, I average, heard this guy. Yeah. Yes. You actually need to have him on the podcast at some point. But his average water intake per week – is 12 ounces. If he drinks more than that, he gets sick. Now these stories are not embellished at all. He only drinks Pepsi. Um, he doesn't like Coke. Um, he prefers not the Mexican version of Pepsi, which has, I think, the cane they use sugar. a different type of syrup. Yeah, the cane sugar. He he wants the old school American Pepsi, uh, no diet, no anything else, and he'll. He'll go out and buy them and hide them throughout the golf course. And he has ice with him in a turvis. So he'll go up to a flower bush and all the other stuff. Well, one day he had four of them in my golf bag. And all day it just felt heavier. And we were out with Keegan. And for some reason, Keegan and Weber were both really struggling. We were both like three over par with no wind, like the hope, like the easiest conditions you can oh. ask for. And on the ninth tee, Pepsi comes over to my bag. I'm like, what is this idiot doing? And he zips open my bag He takes four Pepsis out. And he goes, I thought it was a great joke until we're both three over par. And he took him out of the bag. I laughed. He laughed. And then the boys, I think they shot four under and five under on the backside uh, to make a <laughs> comeback. So um, we can definitely tell that there's a little extra weight in there. I didn't know where it was coming from, but uh, I found out pretty soon.
2: Oh, that's that's a great story. And my my favorite quote that we like to tell golfers is "Every ounce counts." And you and usually I, I hope love you, that. Oh, I sh- I hope you show up with a cart bag because we have change out bags waiting for you immediately. And well,
0: it, so I I have OCD and I'm obviously used to caddying anyway. So when I go to places like Bannon or Pine Valley or Augusta, I strip my bag to the core. I got about <laughs> twelve tees in there. I've got probably six balls for the day. Um, there is nothing next. I don't want anything taken out. I'm just OCD enough that whatever I have in there. I want it. I usually show up. They'll be like, okay, we're going to go through your bag. I'm like, don't worry about it. will be the lightest bag you've ever picked up. And sure enough, they pick it up. I'm like, yep, you're right. I was like, yeah, cause I know what it's like. So sorry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hey, you know, and I've said this at our caddy shack many times cause
2: uh, sorry, Zach, we'll let you cut you back in here in a second. But um, if you were to take, like, say, I just, I call it the full-time caddies, the guys who are caddying year round, that would be the tours and that would be a few resorts. I mean, like I can think pebble band and then, Oh shoot, everyone else is small or seasonal we're in a union and a vocation of like a thousand folks really i mean you want to talk about like the smallest type of job in this country i mean underwater welders have a bigger union than we do i mean it's just it's it's very very different in that regard but i mean that's at least like you saying it like i've heard people say that before and that doesn't mean jack oh this will be the lightest bag you've ever had i'm also glad he said pounds because to (laughs) me it's like that's all the tank cut off like we'll we'll call
0: them tanks after that it's just yeah Exactly. Yeah, I I learned my lesson for sure. Um, And and I'm going to make sure that'll stay the same going forward. Oh, Zach, what else you got for
1: him? So this is the question I've been waiting to ask you. Possibly my favorite golf shot I've ever seen, because I missed a lot of all the crazy Tiger shots, all that. The 2018 Players Championship, you came out victorious with Webb. I'm sure you know the shot on Saturday, the 11th hole. I think it was the 11th hole
0: yes 30 yard
1: bunker shot what was going on there I need to know all the details because I've probably said 100 times
0: you know (laughs) it's amazing how things go on so um the players championship winner each year they ask for a club whatever club it is that meant the most to the player that week and you know Webb had an extremely uh um just everything was happening all week well for Weber. Um, it was due. It was coming. He was ready. The golf course fits Weber. We were 11-under through 16 on that golf course in hard, windy, firm conditions on Friday. I still don't understand how that happens. Saturday shows up. We started with a five-shot lead. And going into the 11th hole, we had a four-shot lead, which is still good. But, again, that's not very many still with almost 27 full holes, full holes to go. Um, we had a 5-1 in our hand on a, on 11 we decided to change to a three wood and just make sure that we didn't miss short. The bunker shot from short was pretty tough. The greens were firm and fast. It was downwind. And so Webb hit the most beautiful three when he's ever hit it landed less than a foot from the hole and still went over the back of the green, which just shocked us at the time. And he was in between clubs, the lob wedge and the 54 degree. And he had asked me, and I thought it was the 54 just kind of hit a chunk and run. And as soon as he hit it, I thought he caught it a hair too clean. Um, but I, as we see now in, in hindsight, he caught it perfectly. It was only going to go probably four feet by. And as the ball went in the hole and he came out of the bunker and gave me a, uh, a high five that I can still feel today. My hand's still stinging. Uh, <laughs> it was the first time all week that I'm like, wow, this is our golf tournament. Like even the five shot lead through two days, so many things can happen there. Um, we hadn't won in four and a half years at the time. There's a lot of heat, obviously at that golf course a lot of runs to be had, both good and bad. And when he hold that Eagle out to take a six shot lead at the time, um, it was the first time that I sat back and said, Oh my goodness, like this golf tournament's ours. If we do what we're supposed to do. So I'll remember it forever. And, you know, I've been asked the question, you know, is it the most significant win of my career? I've been fortunate to win over 20 times on tour 2012 U S open 2018 players. And for me, the players was a bigger win than the U S open. Um, Oh. Number, number one, the U.S. Open, we kind of snuck up on everybody. We'd only been interviewed once the entire week. Um, we shoot a couple under on Sunday. We sit there. All of a sudden, you know, you're the U.S. Open champion. Congrats. Um, mm-hmm. I had a red-eye flight three hours after, and I was on a plane back home. Where this one, I was born and raised here. My grandfather taught me how to play the game just down the road. My grandfather was a starter just down the road at Ponte B. Club. Um, I hit a shot on 17 TBC before it was even grassed um, back in 1981 at nine years old. And I had the old junior set three iron, five iron, seven iron, and the seven iron kept coming up short. The five iron kept going over. So I'd still be there today making 200 on the hole um, if it wasn't for that gap in the club. So the winning the players at my home golf course, where my family uh, is, is from, where I grew up, meant more to me than anything else. And also going through the two years of battling the yips for Weber, you know, the, the putting band drastically changed the trajectory of Webb's career. Um, it cost him a couple of years, and um, it was sad in the moment, but also led to now a bigger appreciation for the good golf that he's playing.
2: Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, I hate to – I was thinking about that, too, because I've never had a long putter anchored before in my life. I just always had, like, a, just the regular conventional stroke, and I it, it started to dawn on me just today uh, hearing uh, uh, you talk about that over and over, how it affected Webb. I was just like, oh, yeah this was i'm not gonna say clearly an advantage but they deemed it some kind of advantage and that's why it's not a thing anymore i mean so i mean i never got to experience it i remember i tried a long putter gosh when i was six years old my dad slapped it out of my hands really and and i appreciate where he's coming from and luckily i haven't been the worst putter I know. i'm pretty average but
0: (laughs) i haven't had to change my grip 30 years so (laughs) right there that's a good thing that's something to be be happy about uh And to be fortunate, you haven't had to go through. And again, for Weber and I, we just, obviously, we didn't agree with the rule. It only affected three players. Um, Keegan Bradley is one that still hasn't found his way back yet. The long putter guys are still using the long putter. They're removing it from their chest by, you know, just the slightest of margins and are putting better than they ever have. It just, it affected, you know, between two and four people. And it was a shame, but, you know, Webb putts better now than he ever has. Um, And so the silver lining, it was a hard two and a half years, but, came out on the other end a better putter and a better player now
2: no oh, no kidding I mean a lot of the people you're tied to VJ he had an anchored well VJ tried everything but he had the anchored VJ, putter.
0: oh yes he won he won nine times in 2004 using that uh same putting method so it definitely helped his career helped a lot of people's career then he'd go on to have like 33
2: putts around like the next year or whatever I mean
0: I, I I've met VJ
2: personally I, I he's a swell fella I can't say enough great things about him and that's beyond his work ethic and his career but ultimately like his not to say, like, I'm, I never thought with VJ what could have been because he was and still is an incredible golfer. But, like, his putting was so balky. I mean, yeah, the hottest putter is going to win every week. And Tiger Woods and Jordan Spieth get hot a lot with their putters. That's just how it goes. But VJ, like, I look at some of his numbers, and sometimes when I have a bad round putting, I always think, well, did I beat VJ?" I mean, that, that's right. always something in my head.
0: I mean, this, it was just an old yeah. thing. I-, I mean, to accomplish what he accomplished, being in the Hall of Fame, winning, what, 34 times, three majors. And he was never a great putter. He became an average putter, um, and when he was an average putter, is when he started winning um, all those golf tournaments. Seventeen wins on tour in, the, in a three-year stretch, and so oh, yeah. He, yeah, he was one of the few. I wasn't back there to watch Hogan play or anything else, but uh, you know, in the modern era, he's the best player being a, no more than an average putter that that we've definitely seen in the last thirty years. And I think we need to talk about that more,
2: just in terms of great golfers, because all the greats are good putters, or all the yes. best golfers personally are good putters now real quick segue to my question for you real uh unfortunately i did some research you're not the first hall of famer we had on our show speaking of hall of famers i I was hoping to like bust this up and be like all right we have our first hall of fame interview here but i looked it up in haste real quick and found out that kip henley is the Chattanooga Hall of Fame something. Uh, I don't know if that's an Elks Club or the VFW or something. <laughs> um, we love you, Kipper. We know you're not doing podcasts anymore, but he has done ours. And I want to ask you really quick, uh, you ever, because um, certain people seem to cohort a bit, and if some people will only take catty snapshots of each other on Twitter. You would say, like, wow, what a frosty bunch. I mean, these guys seem to, like, cut to the core, really. But, I mean, I, I, I love the humor and everything, so I see
0: right through that. But, I mean, do you know Kip Henley at all? I do. Um, Kip is definitely a friend. He's a dear friend. Um, I, Kip has got a personality which is perfect for TV slash radio slash Twitter slash everything. The Kip Henley that you had on your show, the Kip Henley that you see on Twitter, he's that Kip Henley. The guy will do anything for you. If you were in trouble, he would fly all night. He'd leave his job to come help you, to come bail you out um he has always been a tremendous supporter uh not only of me but of my son isaiah of my wife my family um he is loved by everyone out there he's just the kip that you see the kip from the big break is the same kip that he is every day he's a great dad great hubby he is hilarious he is opinionated he is actually smart um because of his accent he um, sometimes people look at him as not being smart and we know that he purposely misspells all the word on Twitter. Oh yeah, all words. And so people just assume that he's an idiot, that he's a country bumpkin and he's not, um, he's extremely wise. He's done a great job making a name for himself. And Kip's also a tremendous caddy. He he's always made me laugh because he is not suffering in the confidence, um, department when it comes to his green reading. He goes, Paulie, I don't know what to tell you. I'm a human, I'm a human topography map. I don't know what you call it. They should call me topo because I can read the green so well. And, uh, and he's right. I've gone to him before and asked him questions about green reading. He just talks about confidence more than anything else. He goes, you know, if you're a great player, you're most likely a really good green reader. And you've seen that, you know, you read greens for different players and uh, green readings about touch. It's about feel. Um, If you try to read a putt for 20 feet, that has three feet of break, you're going to be off by at least a cup. Um, And that's Mm -hmm. a good, that's a good read. If you can get it that dialed in. And, you know, at the level we are, I've now gone down so many different roads of learning more. I've done Aimpoint Express. I'm now uh, down a deep rabbit hole doing regular Aimpoint, learning all the mathematical equations that goes into reading greens, just so we can have a competitive advantage. But um, again, Topo—that's your nickname for Kip Hindley. Um He called himself the human topography. Uh, I know, that's why he could read. Right, right, right. <laughs> and you can tweet him out. You could tweet him out at the end of it. But we oh, no, d- follow
2: each other. I'll, I'll DM him. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Put please do. In the past yeah. <laughs>
0: Yes, please do. Uh, he'll laugh about that for sure.
2: Oh, uh, you got I got one more question for him, Zach, and it's not my. Uh, I'm, I'm canning my go my, ahead. Uh, question at the end because that just because I, I feel like not that we know Paul's a story, but uh, I I had this dumb question at the end, Paul, where I always said, uh, "If you could be president of any of his fan club, who would it be?" But I seem to like when we get a certain theme of good guests. I can almost predict their answers and they're good ones. It's not like we're going to learn anything crazy or off the wall or, or what, what did, what did Peter Quest say? The, uh, Zach, he said he'd be like the president of the Gr- Rob Gronkowski fan club. And I was like, okay, well, maybe <laughs> we'll learn something about him. We didn't want to know per se. Like, I mean, he's just like, Oh, you want to be the, his fan club president. Okay. So yeah. Zach, he, Question. I'll, I got a different one.
1: Uh, I don't, I don't got too much. I was, that was sort of going to be my next question. I was going to lead it yeah. to you to ask it, of course. <laughs> well, I,
0: <laughs> all right. I, I still have uh, a calculated question, so to speak. All right. I want to hear calculated first. Come on. Let's hear it. Calculated. Didn't you say you had a calculated question to ask? Oh, no. A catty question. Oh, see, I'm making things up over here yeah, already. I
1: need a calculated question. I'll try and think of one.
0: <laughs> calculated. Have, two plus two is four. They taught me that at Florida. I just want to
2: bring that calc- up. Hey, there you go. <laughs>
1: That's
0: <train> strong. <laughs> well, I so basically what i caddy
2: ever since i've uh discovered randy son's socks they pretty much are like the only thing i like to wear but we have a lot of different weather conditions out here in the southern coast of oregon reed martin uh um, hubbard's caddy uh, he's a good friend of ours uh, who's he's been on the show a couple times and uh, whatnot i asked him what his favorite piece of not necessarily favorite piece but like what's the piece of equipment that he uses that nobody else uses out there and uh, he said a compass and uh, like you know like an actual like you know north east west south compass and uh, I thought, that's neat. So I went and bought one, and I use it for a couple of rounds. And I'm like, okay, well, never mind. It's just not for me because, you know, it's pretty easy to predict the wind when it's just blowing one direction all day uh, with no yeah. tree. But then, um, yeah, I was chatting with another fellow the other day. He had a laser pointer. Now, as so long as we weren't in competition, he was using the laser pointer to tell people where to hit it. And I was just like, that's brilliant. Why don't we all have laser pointers? That's great. Do you have something you can live without or something that nobody else uses out there?
0: Uh, kind of, yes, and. So I got two answers. So the first one is it's called an altimeter. So, you know, obviously Bushnell and everything, they have the up downhill and it tells you how far up and downhill it's playing. Um, I, I feel like those give you really erratic numbers on short distances and long distances. You might have 80 yards and it'll tell you it's playing eight yards uphill, which that's just not right. It's not feasible. It's not playing eight yards uphill from 80 yards. And you might have 240 yards. Number two at Augusta it always says it's 16 to 18 yards downhill and it plays no more than eight or 10. Oh, and man, I don't want other, everybody else to know that because if there's some Augusta caddies, uh, guys that are going to caddy against me, it that's, 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 took me a lot of years to figure out why every we'll single that player out. is will the out. green. <laughs> On number two, but, um, you know, so the altimeter helps. It gives you a percentage versus anything else. So if it's 4% from 300 yards, you know, that would be 12 yards downhill. You know, vice versa, all the way down 100 yards, it means it'll be four yards. So I use that. But my next one is an erasable pen. And uh, it was actually a caddy gift this year from Greg Bodine, a.k.a. g who caddies for Tony Fee now. And oh, it- the erasable pen, it's got five different inks on it. And I can use it in my yardage book because I color hazards. I'll, I'll color... Um, miss spots around the greens knowing that okay right side of the green over here is a red x left side of the green might be a great miss i'll put a green okay and i'll color coordinate like that but sometimes just through the years our outlook on those miss spots change so it's good to have an eraser uh to be able to change those things as i go around then the last thing is just yardage book cover i'm really personal about my yardage book cover um it needs to be waterproof and i want to have something on there that you know either with my foundation or my name or, or something else weber bought us some good ones for augusta that are green um, made out of a, a pretty cool material that that we use just for augusta so i think those would be my main three would be the altimeter the erasable pen and just a good yardage book cover yeah, sweet. See, uh, some people try to use technology. Uh, Mr. Paul
2: Tessori just has a pen. <laughs> a pen that
0: really yeah, like. and, and I, I got one more. I'm going to bust on a friend of mine. So John Wood, I think, just did his 14th team event. John Wood is caddied for, um, he caddied for let's see, Kevin Sutherland, Chris Riley at the Ryder Cup um, over, I think, at the K Club. Oh, wow. Uh, wow. Caddied for Hunter, Hunter Mahan for about eight years, and now he's been with Cooch for the last two and a half years. Well, he has one huge piece of equipment that, He'll probably laugh if he hears that I said this. His, his piece of equipment is no white hat. He does not believe in white hats. In fact, he believes that white hats are the complete kiss of death. He says, Paul, how many Major League Baseball teams wear a white hat? Well, that's like, – <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, none. He goes, yeah, because they're smart. And so team pictures this year <laughs> yeah. the President's Cup were white hats. So he brought his red hat out. He put the white hat on for pictures. And as soon as the pictures were done, red hat went right back on on Saturday, we all wore white hats. There was one caddy in a red hat, and that was John Wood. He's like, yeah, I'll wear a white hat if you want. If you want me to lose and everybody else to lose, I'll wear a white hat. But nobody <laughs> wants that, so I'm going to put it. I said "If they offered you hundred grand for a year to wear a white hat. He goes, Paul, I don't think you understand. The answer is no. Uh, I'm not doing it for any amount of money. So, uh, so uh, John's piece of equipment would be that. And then Patrick Reed, who you talk about, he is the – by, I think by far, he's the most superstitious golfer in the world. No. Like, if, if Kessler had the wrong kind of shoes on at the Masters and they missed the cut, those are never being worn again. Kessler, you're never wearing those again. He's got the same coins, same ball marks, same tees. Uh, things don't change. And so, uh, you know, we we go. And then I got Webb, who it pisses me off. He'll make three straight birdies with a golf ball. And after the third birdie in a row, will ask me for a new ball. And, like, it goes against all of my nature to give him a new golf ball. Like, why would you ever change after three straight birdies? My coach at Florida, Buddy Alexander, you weren't allowed to take one out of play if you hadn't made a bogey yet. Even if it's an easy course, you've made 17 straight pars, that ball's staying in play for the 18th hole. So, uh, you well, know, it's kind the- of different. We're not living with boladas anymore, so come on. I'm with that. Exactly. With you. you know, in, the, in those old days, you'd have hairs coming off the top of them after you used those square groove wedges. I used to love it. I'd leave them on there sometimes as a bragging right. But, um, yeah, nowadays you could keep them going. But, uh, so, anyway. Exactly. Um, you know what those- we're
1: talking about. <laughs> I not a clue.
2: Do you, you, or... you ever blade a nice Tour 90 Bolada, and then all of a sudden, when you find it, it's
0: just smiling at you? <laughs> I use yeah.
1: whatever ball comes my way.
0: <laughs> That's great. That makes it easy, though. That's okay. Actually, got... I thought of one, I thought
2: of a question. Actually, really quick though, um, I meant to ask earlier: who carried uh, Patrick's bag on the final day?
0: So his coach Kevin Kirk was there all week. Um, oh patrick had him come out the bahamas patrick was struggling a little bit they got something good going at, uh, at in the bahamas and so kevin flew over worked with patrick all week and uh, he worked for him on sunday so it was pretty seamless they worked together all the time kessler's part of that whole program so kevin knew what to do how to do it you know and 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 all those kind of little intricacies of caddying uh, the do's and don'ts so
2: well, that was that was better than uh, Ho-Tung Lee's caddy, right? I mean, uh, I understand why he was there, but the poor fellow's never caddied before and he doesn't speak English, which I'm not saying you have to speak English, but it helps if you're all on the same page when you're all sharing the same court or floor or field of play, so yeah. to speak. It doesn't yeah. matter if
0: we speak English as Americans. It's like, let's all just make sure we're, we have the universal language going. And I actually think that's one of the hardest things that probably the international team has to deal with, that you don't have in Europe, you know, for the European Rider Cup or the U.S., is that you might have three or four different languages spoken freely and fluently on that team. So yeah. I definitely think that's something they have learned year by year. And now they have, um, you know, somebody to come in and help bridge that gap to make sure that the guys are on the same page. Uh, I know that was a struggle even when I was working for VJ. All the way back in 07 for the international team. But I think they're getting that more and more dialed in. But it's definitely something when you're talking about camaraderie, trying to get the team to really match up together. It's hard to do if you don't understand each other's language.
1: Yeah, so I got I got my calculated question now. Oh, I'm ready.
0: Bring (laughs) that calculated question. That's good. Bring it on.
1: So I was thinking one thing I found really interesting watching the President's Cup was at one point they mentioned Adam Scott. They were talking about Ernie Ells' sixty that he shot at the President's Cup. And Adam Scott said he didn't watch it because he was there witnessing it. So I got to ask you, what's the best round you've ever witnessed? And if it was Webb's where he was 11 under through 16, you got to choose another one.
0: Yeah. Okay. So yeah, I would have said Webb's. Um, but my second one, I've been fortunate. I've been out with Tiger uh, around a hundred rounds in competition on the PGA tour. I could count quite a few of his too, but I'm going to go back to – it was a round shot on us this year. It was Rory McIlroy at the Canadian Open. Um, We were playing in the last group with him. Um, We were tied for the lead going into the last day, and Rory shot a two-bogey 61. And the round of golf was like nothing I have ever seen in my entire life. Uh, The first hole um, is there's trees to the left, which is unplayable. There's OB down the right. There's about a 33-yard width area to hit it only a 15 yard wide gap to hit the fairway it's the first tee shot of the day weber hits first hits it right where you're supposed to it's a hybrid down the right side set up for a nice pitching wedge in the middle of green rory takes out driver hits it 340 right down the middle of the 15 yard wide gap fairway hits his lob wedge, checks does a 360 and spins out of the hole um he was then six under through seven turned in six under was eight under through eleven Shot 11 under par um, with two bogeys down the stretch. It was just – I've never seen anything like it, to be honest with you. It was just a complete – it demolished kind of your hope as each hole went through, knowing (laughs) that he already is the best driver in the world. But that day he was the best wedger in the world, the best putter in the world. And the thing that people don't know about Rory, he's also one of the best uh, statesmen for Mm -hmm. the game of golf. Like the guy truly is a – he's kind – Um, he's nice. He's down to earth. Um, he's a guy you would want anybody to meet your buddies at home, drinking beer or your CEO of the company that you work for. He can get along with everyone. Now he's fierce. He wants to whip up on you at the same time, but, um, he's just tremendous to be around. So, um, sometimes those really nice guys, when they get that killer instinct and you just know they're elite at golf. Um, it can be intimidating as they're going through that round. So I'm sticking with Rory for right now, as far as the most intimidating round. And again, that's with 100 rounds with Tiger head-to-head in his prime, um, including those. That's a, I mean, killer answer. I mean, Rory, Rory is uh, tops in a lot of people's books. So,
2: yeah. so uh, Zach, you got anything else before we uh, get uh, uh, Paul plugged here and on out?
1: No, give him, give him the final question though. We want to hear the answer.
2: Oh, fine. Okay, fine. I guess I'll, I'll keep this uh, this uh, crummy train going. I'm so, nervous. What's, going,
0: what's coming at me right now? Come on, let's hear it.
2: it. Well, I already buried the lead earlier, but if you were to be the president of anybody's fan club, who would it be?
0: Wow. Uh, does it have to be in golf?
2: They, they could be living, dead. Oh, it could be anything. It could be your dad. I mean, because Kip cool. Henley said he would be – because what do you think Kip Henley said? He said he would be the president of the Henley family fan club or whatever i'm like of
0: course he said that that's, a, yeah, that's the- exactly so i'm gonna go away to- from all those yeah i'm gonna go away from all those normal answers um you know i'm gonna go back to someone who's not with us anymore but i would love to have been the president of bobby jones's fan club mm. like to go back and realize he was the greatest player of his generation he was one of the most intelligent people i mean the guy what he was able to do to become a lawyer to go through school at georgia tech to play golf at the highest level that had ever been played at that time. And to constantly say no to back then what would have been riches. He never had to work another day. if he just would have turned professional. The amount of money he would have gotten in appearance fees, the amount of money that, which wasn't much back then, but they still were getting a lot of money for matches back then as much as $10,000, which could relate to over $120,000 nowadays. Um, He would have been rich and never had to play again, but he never turned pro. And then, I've been able to go to Augusta a few times, spend the night a couple of times and gone and and seen like the property that he bought. And I just would have loved to have walked down that street with him, Magnolia Lane, which had Magnolias at that point. I've gotten to see the old photograph, but had no golf course, obviously. And to know that like what his vision was, how he came up with the idea and just all of that. To know that he had a tremendous temper, which I did too growing up. And how did he get through having that temper, having the shakes, being sick at the same time? Um, and I just, I don't know. I'd love to have been a part of that entire process of watching him go through it. Uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for him and wish we knew even more about his life today. Absolutely. That t- tremendous answer. I, I, are, are you okay? And I'm going to come back at one that you need to ask other guys. Cause I was asked this recently, if there was one actor I could choose to play me in a film, who would it be? And so go back to Bobby Jones, I would say Jim Caviezel. And people are like, <laughs> why Jim Caviezel? I was like, well, he played Bobby Jones and he played Jesus Christ. Anybody yeah. that can pull those two off, I'm in for. Those are my <laughs> those are the two people that I look up to the most. Um, and so if he can pull those two off, I'm in.
2: That's, that's easy. Who cares if you guys look alike? It doesn't even
0: have to <laughs> be about that. That's perfect. No, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. If he can pull those two off, I'm in. Uh,
2: uh, Zach is uh, – I'm sorry, Paul, is there anything you want to plug? I mean, uh, we talked about your Twitter, your foundation. We can hit those again. Uh, your personal cell number, what you got?
0: Yeah, so guys, again, uh, tesorifamilyfoundation.org. If you have any questions, reach out. Obviously, I'm on Twitter at Paul Tesori. Um, I'm pretty good about getting back in touch with people. Um, if you reach out, if you have questions, I'll always try to answer them, uh, and you know, as honestly as I can. Um, and just stay in touch. Thank you guys for having me on. I'm a golf geek, I could talk for hours about this stuff. Hopefully, we'll do something special next year, and I'll force you guys to have me back on.
1: Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. We'd love All to have right. you back on. Thanks so much for making the time really, a right, pleasure, especially right after such a big event. So uh, we'd love to have you on again soon, and good luck until All we right. speak to you again.
0: I love it, guys. Thanks for having me on. It was a pleasure. Have a good night. Thanks a lot, Paul. We appreciate it. Thanks. Mark Reinbold, shout out. Thank you for listening to From the Back Tees. Oh. For the whole and it's in with Bernie. We hope you enjoyed today's show. For more information and updates, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at From the Back Tees. I'm gonna enjoy it for the rest of my life. See you next week. Be the ball.